You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. My name is Dave Early. I'm here with a very, very special guest. We have a fun podcast. Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report. He's a former Liberty Baller. He's also the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever with Triumph Books. You can still buy a copy of that today. Um, we got into lots of really fun stuff. We talked about the latest he just wrote about the Celtics. Um, what would have happened, a hypothetical with Jalen Brown if the Ben Simmons trade never happened and where he would rank on the Sixers wish list. We talk about the latest with Bradley Beal and his possibly volatile free agency. And then, of course, we get into all things Sixers, especially James Harden. We unpack a bit about the blockbuster James Harden trade um, and a little bit about Ben Simmons and the Sixers and their championship aspirations and their possible off-season moves. So really fun pod, lots of awesome, awesome stuff. You're definitely going to want to hear everything that Jake has to say in this one. Very, very happy to be here with a former Liberty Baller, now with Bleacher Report and an author, Jake Fisher. Jake, how you doing? Doing well, Dave. You're not going to give me the full the full title shout out? Come on, man. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm really well. No, we're going to get you, uh, we're going to put in like a more formal one beforehand, but this was just uh, in the interest just, of time. I'm just teasing you, buddy. I'm just <laughs> Um, so I'm reading, I'm reading your stuff today about the Boston Celtics and the Sixers were mentioned in there. Um, <laughs> it sounds like if the, if the Celtics hadn't turned everything around and now everything's going well with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that Jalen Brown, who is a guy you've mentioned many times, might be on the top of the Sixers wish list had the James Harden trade never happened. Is that fair? Yeah, I think, um, you know, ultimately the Sixers all along had like a tier A of players, if you will. Um, you know, the Bradley Beals, the James Hardens, the Damian Lillards, the Jalen Browns. You know, I don't know if Shea Gilders Alexander would have counted in that type of top, top tier of guys that they were hoping to flop Ben with, you know. But, I mean, those four names were clearly the names that were, were echoing around the ether, if you will, the the loudest in terms of, players that Philly was was hoping to ultimately turn Ben Simmons into. And you know, if you think back, remember December 15th was obviously the big uh, launching pa- uh, pad point, whatever you want to call it for, you know, the trade window of in-season stuff being that's obviously when a lot of free agents become eligible to get moved. And around then, you know, the Celtics were, below 500 for a lot of the the first half of the season, even, you know, as as late as January 14th, like, like that story started today, they were 21 and 22 and 11th in in the East up, up in Boston. And like, there was definitely starting to be some real conversations um, around the league, around Boston, around those two players about whether or not, um, you know, 
they were going to actually be a long-term tandem moving forward. It wouldn't have happened at the deadline, but I think people were definitely starting to prepare for the possibility that Jalen became available this summer. But yeah, like you said, they rattled off a bunch of wins here. They got to the one seed before Robert Williams got injured. And um, it seems like the Celtics have kind of figured out the formula to build a roster around those two guys and Philly got James Harden. And we'll see if those two teams end up clashing in the playoffs at some point. Yeah, a couple of, uh, I guess, Brett Brown's assistant coaches are, are crushing it right now, Udoka and Monty Williams, right? Um, so at one point not long ago, you reported that Miami was looking at guys like Jalen Brown and Bradley Beal. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think, you know, the Heat are always a, a, a big uh, a big game hunter, and those two guys have been very largely uh, – whispered about just like with Philly in terms of uh I mean look teams are always preparing for the players that are going to become available potentially right in the next six months and the next trade season and the next free agency window all that stuff they're, they're preparing two three years out so the same names that Philly was looking at with Ben um you know a lot of those names yeah Miami was de- has definitely been linked to them as well do you think if with Boston's success and maybe Jalen Brown Getting being off the board as a target, do you think that increases the chances? I mean, what, what do you think the chances are that Beal stays put? And then if he left, where do you think he would end up? I think the only relation to the Brown aspect of it is that teams and people who are invested in Bradley Beal becoming available are probably going to be more motivated for Bradley Beal to become available, right? If there's less, yeah. if there's less options on the board. Um, you know, there's a lot of smoke about Beal's free agency decision, you know, people are talking about the Philly outcome, right? With the the potential for Harden to take less money. It could be maybe a sign trade with Tobias or sending Tobias elsewhere. Um, you know, the heat whispers are, are certainly there. Um, but at this point, you know, it definitely seems to be, um, you know, all signs are, are pointing towards Bradley Beal taking that, that massive extension with Washington where, the Wizards can pay him $50, $60 million more than anybody else. But even still, at that point, you know, he's flirted with requesting a trade several times now, uh, dating back to last draft. I do think, you know, from what I was told, um, the possibility of him getting moved at this past deadline would have dramatically, I mean, it would have happened if Beal decided he wanted to go. And I think those conversations were being um had right before brad ended up undergoing season ending surgery um so even if he does resign in washington teams are still going to be hoping and preparing and doing their back channelings uh to see if they can ultimately pry him loose from the wizards before next year's deadline wow do you so there was i think it was bill simmons who said joel Embiid was pushing and pushing for bradley beal Daryl Morey went on the rights to Ricky Sanchez pod and was like, we had something really, really good. Do you think that they were deep along in talks to land Beal before he got hurt or before Harden was available? Um, I don't know specifically, so I don't want to comment on that particularly, but I will say, I mean, there's a very obvious connection between Joel Embiid and Bradley Beal and um, Drew Hanlon. He's tweeting become, about the MVP right now. Yeah. Yeah. Drew Hanlon has become uh, a pretty big, I don't want to say shadow figure because he's not in the shadows. Like he's a trainer. He's on Twitter. He, I mean, 
by all accounts, he's very good at what he does, right? Like, look at the work yeah. he's done with those three guys. Um, and that's a pretty clear connective tissue that um, I, I don't think uh, should be understated in talking about the Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal recruitment tools, if you will. And so you mentioned it briefly. What about that possibility of James Harden taking a little bit less than a max to make room? Do you think that there's a scenario there? Like, would it, would it necessitate them moving on from Tyrese Maxey, who at one point you said was untouchable unless Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal was being floated? No, I think Maxey's value has only continued to, you know, proliferate right and what he's done especially following the James Harden trade I'd be very surprised if Philly ever parted with him at this point to be honest I mean anything can happen in this league right like literally anything can happen (laughs) yeah no one was really expecting this Harden trade possibility um until it became a thing right um but that being said I, I think I'm sure I'm going to get a text or a call from somebody after they listen to me saying this, but I think that, um, you know, when push comes to shove, it seems pretty clear that they would probably be, they'd be more willing to part with Matisse Tybalt than Maxi in order to make, uh, I mean, I really think, I really do think Maxi is untouchable. Um, and I think Tybalt is someone that, you know, as fantastic as he is, um, you know, look at the Pelicans this year, right? They've got Herb Jones, uh, um, you know, they, it, it's just, it, it's easy to find, there's a notion in the league that it's relatively easy to find two-way wings. And obviously the questions of Tybal's offensive production are there as well. Um, so I think as valuable as he is, I do think that he might be quote unquote considered expendable for any type of big game move like that. Yes. Interesting. So if, you know, if the Sixers won the championship, they might just want to run it back, and that would make sense. But let's say they had one of these terrible scenarios where they lost to Miami, uh, Brooklyn in round one or had to go to Milwaukee or Boston in round two and lost, and Joel Embiid said, hey, I share a trainer with Bradley Beal. I mean, make it happen if you can. Under those type of circumstances, do you think they would move Maxi, or do you think Daryl Morey and ownership would say, no, 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 this, this guy is too good, too cost-effective. We don't care what you want. I don't know that answer, to be honest with you. I mean, <laughs> look, at the end of the day, Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers at this juncture and James Harden, they're all there to win a title. Like, that was the premise for why Philly came off the top rope and immediately hired Doc when he became available and did the same thing with Daryl Morey. Um, they, they, want, they wanted big, big names that have theoretically been – right there or I've done it before and they want to damn the torpedoes and they want to get a, a championship ring on their resume. And, you know, to, to Daryl's side of things, the way he has operated has clearly been um, predicated on trying to create long lasting relationships with his star players um, and doing things to surround them with other star players who theoretically have championship upsides. So like, is there a scenario where that could happen? Sure. Like it's definitely possible. I just, I can't like confidently comment on like that specific, uh, sure. 
hypothetical you gave me, you know? Well, let's talk about that guy that's supposedly that star player to compliment Joel Embiid, James Harden. We can start with the good. Uh, you, you wrote basically Sixers figure, spoke of how Embiid's fully embracing becoming Philadelphia's lifeblood um, with Simmons out of the picture. And Harden saw another talent hungering for his first ring. So it, now that you're looking back at the whole trade and your reporting of it, what's your estimation of why Harden wanted out? How do you boil it down? Is it to be a central magnate? Is it he wanted to be alongside Joel Embiid? Is it the McMansion thing in Cherry Hill, New Jersey? There's a lot of factors. Um, and I, I don't want to you know, put words in James Harden's mouth and, and speak to what um, – that he was really thinking, but, you know, it, it was, I think everything really got particularly thrown out of whack um, when Kyrie Irving ultimately made it very clear he wasn't going to be getting vaccinated this season. And it's pretty ironic that after the deal gets done, um, you know, Kyrie is not eligible to play home games. Um, but, you know, there was never a real... There, there, there was never a guarantee that was going to happen in New York, right? I mean, you and I both live in the city. Like, there, there was never, um, as much as there was optimism all along, like, there was never, it was never a guarantee that he was going to be playing home games in the playoffs. And Kevin Durant and Kyrie have both kind of cemented their legacies in terms of being championship caliber players, right? I mean, KD did what he did in Golden State. Kyrie has hit one of the greatest, you know, shots in NBA history, winning the title in game seven on the road after coming back from a 3-1 deficit. Harden's still looking for his first ring. And, you know, I do think overall there's been some discrepancies about this in the media, but, you know, as, as Harden said um, during his press conference when he was introduced to Philly, um, I do believe that Philly was the outcome he was desiring all along. I think that was his uh, top choice when he was at Houston. Yes. Um, Brooklyn, however, I mean, he had a chance to join up with KD, who obviously he made the finals with back in OKC. And from you know my reporting, I always heard that he, between KD and Russ, that KD was the guy that Harden had kind of gravitated to more back in those OKC days and kind of looked up to him in a certain degree. Um, not that he didn't look up to Russ, but that, you know, KD was the scorer and kind of like the alpha dog while Russ was kind of the second fiddle, right? Um, so I think he looked at Brooklyn as being a, a, obviously a pretty strong opportunity to win a title. And then, you know, the injury stuff flares up with him and his hamstring and Kyrie tweaks his ankle in the playoffs. Um, this is back in 2021, obviously. And, you know, that's also a big monkey wrench too, right? Like, I, th I think that's where those ripple, these ripple effects begin, where if the Nets go on and win the title last year, like those guys are signing long-term extensions right alongside KD this summer. And Signed, sealed, and delivered, like Sean Mark said. <laughs> exactly. And it's all hunky-dory. So from there, then the Kyrie vaccine thing to then KD gets hurt. And all of a sudden, James is looking around Barclays Center at home games like I'm back in Houston all over again. I, I wanted to go somewhere where I could kind of have a little bit of help alongside of me. And yeah, down I-95 in Philly. I mean, Joel was thriving with, with Ben Simmons kind of out of the picture. And he really did, you know, people, everyone around Philly I, I talked to throughout the season has kind of mentioned over and over and over again about how he's just fully embraced being the franchise guy. I mean, same conversations I had with people in Boston this week about Jason Tatum that like 
there's a clear change in his play when he's just fully embraced being the man and how to be the man and how to set the tone every single night um, and every day in practice and film and, you know, what have you. So, you know, Harden starting to get dissatisfied in Brooklyn. I mean, I, I do think the, the lifestyle things were very clear. I mean, you know, I, people made fun of me on Twitter and Nets people are still making fun, make, making jokes when I talk to them about the whole taxes and weather stuff compared to, um, to Houston because right. Brooklyn and Philly aren't very different. But I mean, I didn't want to again put words in Harden's mouth, which is why I just kind of gave some blank or, or some some blanket statements about that. But yeah, I, I mean. One of the biggest selling pitches that the Rockets under Daryl Moore always gave to stars like James Harden was that with the state tax there, um, you can buy these McMansions somewhere outside the city, even in the city. I mean, I, I was when I, I went to Houston sometime during the pandemic. I forget when like traveling started to open up and I drove through where the players live. Like it's 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 very accessible. They have their own ranches. Oh, yeah. And um you know, I live in Brooklyn now. I love the city, but you know, you don't have the same amount of space, obviously here. And running, uh, you know, a a group of you know support staff from you know, a lot of these players have their own barber. They've got three managers. They've got a dietitian. They've got a chef. They've got you know someone who handles their their day to day you know scheduling. They've got these teams around them that a lot of them end up living with the player as well. And it's like much easier to have that type of entourage, um, which I don't want. I mean, that, that that's just kind of what the NBA world is now. Like I remember being at summer league in 2019 and there was this um, sit down with Josh Harris and Brett Brown. And they were talking about how, you know, in the off season, it was, they had to meet with team Ben and team Joel. Like that's how all, that's how every NBA franchise is now operating around their superstars. So to go do that in South Jersey, where a lot of the players live who play for the Sixers, being at the facilities in Camden, right over the bridge. And you mentioned Cherry Hill, Voorhees, Morristown, wherever you, wherever you want, you know, you get a pretty big house and have that room to run around and do what you want. Um, you know, I, obviously the taxes in Jersey are pretty, uh, you know, astronomical themselves my parents particularly uh moved out of jersey this year to avoid that um but i don't know i I think primarily the issues stem from the stuff on the court and availability to play and ultimately compete for a championship and hopefully um from harden's perspective get into that that tier and get to the finals where that's kind of been the last missing piece um of his resume of his own hall of fame career yeah, I was covering the Nets, and I can see it from their perspective at the time. I remember reading some of what you wrote and thinking, okay, well, Steve Nash hasn't really had the chance to solidify his closing lineups because he's got 10 guys in health and safety protocol. Surely Harden wouldn't hold that against him. Uh, and on February 8th, a couple days before the trade, when we can infer maybe Harden was asking for a trade, there, like you said, there was some optimism in the city that at some point maybe Kyrie could come back full-time and Kevin Durant would eventually be healthy. Um, but it sounds like from listening to you that it really was. He did think he has a better chance to win a title in Philly. It wasn't just uh, some of these other factors, which is interesting to me. I think, no, I, I think they're all, they're all 
equal factors to a certain degree, but the winning was ultimately, um, I guess, the, the the final straw. I mean, I, I don't. Again, I don't. I'm not in the room when these guys are are making these decisions, right? So I, I don't. Um, I want to speak too too definitively, but from my understanding, yeah, I, I do think ultimately, hard to look down at. Embiid situation in Philly and an executive that he trusts in Daryl Morey versus, you know, Sean Marks is Kevin Durant's guy, right? Like James Harden was probably always going to end up being second fiddle in that aspect. Um, and not that, he, I, not that I, I don't want to mischaracterize that and make it seem that there was an issue between those two guys or anything like that. But I think, you know, ultimately Daryl and, and Joel was a, a, a recipe that I think Harden really did believe was going to be the, his best chance to win a championship definitely this season. Um, I don't know if he felt that, you know, in perpetuity over the course of his contract. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that Harden looked at Embiid as, as a potential greater fit than what, the, what, what his present situation was with, uh, with Brooklyn. And so, you know, fans who follow from afar, might have said, well, Harden exaggerated a hamstring issue. You wrote when Harden first took to the bench with hamstring tightness, Durant was among Brooklyn figures who were skeptical of the severity. Now Sixers fans see him holding it in a game in Phoenix, and we're thinking, well, maybe he was never exaggerating anything, and he's got the same type of ongoing hamstring issues that plagued his former teammate Chris Paul once. What do you, what do you think about that? Do you think the hamstring issue was real now? Um, and not exaggerated? Do you think it's an ongoing problem that's going to come into play in terms of the Sixers structuring a long-term deal around James? So the hamstring, from my understanding, has been an issue for James back to April of 2021, where in that story I wrote post the deadline, there's some miscommunication. I don't, I don't know the specifics, um, but he was supposed to have a pregame treatment and Harden missed it after – a night out and basically said to that staff, like, I feel good. I'm fine. They're like, okay. And then he aggravated the injury. Um, and that's ultimately what ended up keeping him out of the playoffs. And when he reported hamstring tightness this January, I mean, the MRI did show tightness or whatever the tech correct medical terminology was. It was yeah, Steve where, Nash said a strength deficit and a tightness or something. Yeah. But it was to the point where I, mean, I even asked uh, doctor friends, if you will, like, could like because I don't I don't I mean I don't know and uh you know teams typically I mean not to call out Steve Nash but obviously you know publicly he said you know a day or two before the trade that he that they were not trading harder and look yeah um so like I was even curious if the Nets were being truthful in that there was legitimate um you know something that showed up on the MRI and like medical experts confirmed that that could be shown and like everyone i talked to in brooklyn was like yes there's legitimate tightness there and what was shelbourne said there was tightness too yeah they did they did think it was um you know salvageable too with james and and kevin and and, and kyrie and i didn't want to, uh, to recreate a situation where in last year's playoffs there's only one of those guys playing or even only two of those guys playing so I do think they were trying to treat it very, very cautiously, but yeah, KD and many people around that team definitely were like, huh, this is kind of the same shit he pulled in Houston. Is that what he's doing now? Mm -hmm. And I mean, ultimately that is what happened. Do you think if they would have just not traded him that 
they would have lost him for nothing? Do you think he would have taken like the 60 million less that Brad Bradley Beal's considering? From my understanding, um, those people who were starting to question Harden's loyalty were definitely um, concerned that, that, that they were going to lose Harden for nothing. Um, Philly did a pretty good job from my understanding of suggesting the opportunity, the possibility to trade Tobias Harris to someplace like OKC. Um, I mean, I really think it only was OKC that probably would have been able to have pulled off this type of deal where they sent multiple first round picks to offload Tobias Harris and create room to go get James. And all of a sudden got Ben, ben to, to, to deal um, to go get somebody else to pair with those two guys. So I think, I do think Brooklyn ultimately determined that they didn't want to risk that, that possibility happening, whether it was going to happen or not, obviously we'll never know, but there was definitely a tangible fear within the Nets franchise that they were going to be left holding the bag. And instead to get Ben Simmons back um, with Seth Curry and Andre Drummond and multiple first round picks, like, I, I mean, Brooklyn did pretty well in that regard. Do you think there's anything, when do you think Ben Simmons got this herniated disc? Was Does that go back to 2020? Should they have seen something on the MRI? Like, would they not have done this deal if they knew he may not play at all this season? I don't know the origin of the injury, but obviously he's had back injuries uh, plaguing him for a while, like you mentioned. Um, so I think, you know, with the Nets medical staff, they're as attuned and keen as anybody um, into trying not to uh, – not to um, – rush players back and to take everything into account and to really load manage and ramp up guys fully, uh, you know, in tune with their bodies to get back to actual NBA basketball. Like it's very different playing five on five pickup in a high school gym with Deontay Christmas and other former players in the South <laughs> area compared to playing an NBA basketball game, just like a different playing pickup with, you know, your friends and then go to play a rec game, a rec game with refs. Right. But like, it's a much greater gap, obviously when the lights are on and you're on national TV and players are playing for their next millions of dollar contract or nothing. So um, I think my educated guess would be that just recent, you know, hangups. And what I was told from someone familiar with the situation was that, um, the back thing got tweaked during his first, you know, times and days on the court with Steve Nash and trying to get back. That's so I, I do think that um, it was a relatively newer injury and the Nets have just been super cautious and trying to prevent that from happening again. Uh, what do you think is the chances that the Sixers save any money on a $270 million extension for Harden? And if so, how much? I don't know what the chances are, um, but it's certainly being talked about as a possibility, um, which, you know, typically is not the case, right? Like LeBron is not right. being discussed about taking a, a, a pay cut in LA on his next deal to ultimately free up more space with the Lakers. So the fact it's being discussed um, in our side of the industry um, certainly means that it's being at least contemplated by key factors in Philadelphia. Maybe like what Tobias Harris did, he was eligible for like 197 and he got 180 or something. And would that actually, that wouldn't let them get like a great player, right? It would just free up some, maybe some Ben McElmore type shooters around them. Yeah. I mean, you, if you look at 
other teams who are built on three stars making, you know, max or near max money, Golden State, for example, or the Lakers or Milwaukee, it's very hard to flush out that roster with non-minimum and non-rookie skill guys. So if you can have someone like a Seth Curry in there, um, it's a pretty clear uh, value add. Um, or Bobby Portis on the contract that he's at with Milwaukee, the way the Bucks went and kind of swept and got PJ Tucker, like those types of role players end up adding a lot of depth that obviously I think Sixers fans are a bit concerned with Philly at this current juncture. You were, you were a little hard on yourself. You said no one really saw this coming, but you were on Jazz Kang's podcast and predicted that Ben Simmons would wind up in Brooklyn. So great, great job there. Before you get out of here, do you have any predictions for us? Like, I know you've done some some great reporting about LeBron and going back to Cleveland and I don't know Bradley Beal's future, maybe Zach Levine's future. Do you, do you see any uh, any predictions for a bold shakeup in the offseason? Um, I mean everyone's looking at Beal right now for sure. If if he actually gets moved, I don't know, but of of a big name getting of changing teams, you know, if you look at Dame or Zach Levine or Brad. Beal seems to be the most likely guy who, who would change teams. Um, that, that's kind of where things stand. I mean, that was that was what I was thinking about with Brooklyn as well. I mean, to, to be fair, you know, obviously for those who followed closely, um, I was not too confident the deal was actually going to get done the week of the deadline. But that, I mean, it was a massive, it was a massive trade, massive, massive context uh, surrounding that with you know division rivals, conference rivals, the fact that. Um, there was a lot of ego involved. Like I didn't know if that deal was going to get done. Like that's the same that those same situations happen around all these massive blockbuster type uh, transactions. Where you know, back to Anthony Davis and and the Lakers, and even Drew Holiday going to Milwaukee. It, it, it surrounds Damian Lillard in Portland, where there are different people around Damian Lillard who want him to do different things. Like it's there's all all these different ropes tugging and pulling in different directions. Um, which is why things get talked about and why anything can happen. So um, all, all along those lines, Beal's the one that everyone's kind of looking at um, as a potential um, get here. But I, I do think you know, the clearest prediction of something that's not as big, but that I think will clearly take a lot of headlines and command a lot of oxygen and the NBA uh, conversation world, the Jalen Brunson free agency dynamic is going to be um, something to watch, and that that that, can, that gets connected to Jeremy Grant in Detroit as well. Being that the Pistons mm. are mentioned as a, a Brunson suitor, and how much they can pay him will probably be related to how Jeremy's, uh, you know, how his trade situation unfolds there. So that, that that's something that I, I think we'll be talking about Detroit a lot more than people are expecting this offseason. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I think I read a report you wrote that basically the, the Knicks were looking to maybe move off of Burks and Noel to free up money for him, but it came down to like an extra second round pick, so they bowed out or something. Yeah, the, the, the Knicks the Knicks had a lot of deals on the table that I think they ultimately backed out of, being that they were trying to recoup more draft capital than uh, than they were um, going to. And it is my understanding that a big part of the calculus for them to shed salary was to go make a run for Jalen Brunson. Yep. Great stuff. Fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, if you have anything you want to plug, anything you're working on, please do. 
That's it, man. I'm at Bleach Report once a week. We've got some other projects in the works. And if anyone hasn't bought a copy yet of uh, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever, it's heavily discounted anywhere books are sold now. It's been out for a little over or almost a year. Um, a lot of a lot of great Sixers and other intel um, from other teams all throughout those pages. So please get a copy if you are listening and haven't done so. Thanks so much, Jake Fisher. It's evergreen content, so get it now. It's still great. Thanks, Dave. All right, man. Talk to you. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.